Let's go ahead and pull out our Bibles. Go ahead and pull out our Bibles uh, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. If you did not bring a, a, a Bible, there is a blue Bible underneath the seat you are sitting in. You can reach down there and grab one of those. Um, Colossians 3. I don't know which page number it's on. If somebody gets it, just shout it out. Tell me what page it's on. Colossians 3 in the blue Bible. Um, and that's where we're going to be this morning, Colossians 3. And we'll get there in a second. Anybody got the page number yet? 1,088 in the Blue Bible. For those of you who are flipping there, that's where we're going to be. Colossians 3. Um, we, this morning we're beginning a brand new series uh, on heaven. We are, we're going to be looking at heaven over the next four weeks here at Flourishing Grace. And I'm excited about this because I think as we get into this, it's just going to get more and more and more and more exciting. We are going to, after today, so the next three weeks, we are going to actually get into the details of heaven. We're going to take what we can see in the Word of God, and we're going to kind of begin to build and dream and discover what is heaven going to be like. And I'm here to tell you, as I have dived into this, it is unlike anything that I have ever been taught when I was a kid. The things that you were taught when you were a child— most likely, I won't say for sure, most likely are extremely inaccurate. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how the church has kind of diverted from what the Word says is true of heaven to kind of this false idea of heaven and why that is and how we came to be there. Like church history has really jacked up heaven in a, in a lot of ways. When you open the Bible, you're like, wait, that's not what that's not what I was taught. That's not what I was told. That's not what the kind of the urban myth or legend is of heaven. And we're going to see that over the next three weeks. But this morning, what I want to do is just pick up where we left off last week. Last week's Easter Sunday, we talked about the glory of God and how Jesus came and he lived and he died and he raised from the grave so that we might be raised with him in glory, right? The last kind of a high priestly prayer of Jesus. He says, Father, the one thing I ask, what I want, this is what I'm asking you for, is that those who you've given Given me, that's all followers of Jesus of all time, would be with me where I am to see my glory. That's heaven. That's heaven. To, to see the glory of Christ, to, to walk in that, this newness of life, this fullness of life, to s explore, to be so overcome the smallest things of this life, to be filled with infinite unbelievable, untappable joy and be satisfied completely. That's what we're lifting our gaze to. And so this morning, that's all I want us to do. I want to kind of set the tone for this whole series by calling us to lift our gaze to heaven, to say it matters now. It matters now. Heaven matters now. It must matter now. It, it changes. When you lift your gaze to heaven, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we act. And that's the hope for this morning as we dive into uh, Colossians 3. Here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that Colossians in the whole Bible is the Word of God. He has given it to us. This is a gift from His hands. And so in honor and reverence to it, if you're able, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? Colossians 3. One through four, this first paragraph here. If then, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you... You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When, 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Is it doing it again? Man. All right. Sorry, friends. All right. What, what Paul does here in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, right, this first paragraph, this paragraph it is like a theological sandwich, okay? It's got kind of two ends, and then there's like all this meat in the middle, right? And the two ends, if, if you look at it, if you see it, the kind of the first thing he says and the last thing he says are, are tied together. Then he, he puts all of this goodness in the middle, and the, and the ends are, are goodness too, okay? So the, the first thing he says is, if then you have been raised with Christ— Okay? If you've been raised with Christ, what does he mean by that? What does it mean to be raised with Christ, right? Raised from the dead, uh, not a physical death, right? He's talking about you and me, people who are physically alive. There's blood in our veins. There's air in our lungs, right? He's talking about if you, right now, you have been raised with Christ. He's talking about a spiritual death. You've been raised from, from being spiritually dead. For the wages of sin are Death, right? So apart from Christ, before Christ comes and he steps into time and he lives among us, he dies and he raises from the grave, we are spiritually dead. The full, we, we, are, we have fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of what God has called us to be and to do and to act. We've fallen short of that. And because we have, we have failed him, because we have rebelled against him, not only, not only have we fallen short of it, we've done the opposite of it. And because of that, the full, the full wrath of God is our right and just deserving pen, punishment and penalty. That's what we deserve. We deserve to be spiritually dead. We deserve to cease to exist. We deserve nothing more than justice. We are guilty but God, but God, being rich in mercy, sends his only son. Jesus steps into time. He dwells among us. We need, we need a righteous one, a righteous one who would step into our place. God himself, being fully righteous, steps into our place, goes to the cross, bleeds the ground red, dies, raises from the grave, and atones our sin. He covers us. He makes us righteous. He raises us to a new spiritual life. There's a new life in Christ that we live out now. If you're a follower of Jesus, Paul is talking to you. If then you've been raised with Christ, you're a follower of Jesus, you've submitted all that you are to his rule and reign. You say, he is king. He's king of all. He's the king of my life. And he sits on the throne of my heart. All that I am and all that I am are in subject to him. You're a follower of Jesus. You've been raised with Christ. And if that's true of you, and I realize that's not true of everybody in this room. I realize that. But if that is true of you, you would say, I have submitted all that I am to the rule and reign of Christ. There is nothing left for me. He is everything. He is the supreme worth and joy and beauty. In him all things all things that satisfy and bring delight to my soul are in him. If that's true of us, verse 4, the other part of the sandwich. When Christ, 
who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul says, there's a future for you. There's something coming. That king who you submitted all things to is coming back. The king who rules all things, that you've submitted all things to, that you've submitted your life to, he is coming back. And when he comes back, he is coming back to put an end to all of the enemies of goodness, to to crush all sin, all brokenness, to, to make right and to restore all things, new heaven, new earth. He is going to come back to establish, to finalize, to finish the rule and reign. And the last enemy, which is death, will be defeated in that moment, and we will live with him forever in glory. We will appear with him, as Paul says, in glory. We will appear with, appear, appear with him in Glory. This is our end as followers of Jesus. There is, there is something more out there for us. An infinite glory exists for those who are in Christ. Now, everything in the middle of this sandwich, everything in the middle of this paragraph, what Paul is trying to get the church in Colossae to see, and what I'm hoping that you and I will see this morning is that the way we live now should be completely and totally influenced by what we see out there, what we see in heaven. The way that we live now should be dictated, should be influenced completely in every way by what we see in heaven. The journey begins now. Here's what Paul says in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek. We're going to see two imperative commands. That's the first one. Seek. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek. Seek the things that are above. Lift your gaze. Our everyday lives should, they don't should, they do. Our everyday lives constantly declare what we seek. Your moment-by-moment actions in your life declare what you seek. They, are you seeking The things that are above, are you seeking heaven? Are you seeking eternal joy? The infinite joy that is in Christ. Or are we seeking things of earth? Small, temporary, meaningless, trivial things. The the, the short, brief window. Are 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 we seeking what is small and what is insignificant, what is here? Or are we seeking what is far greater? Look at your life. What does it declare? For many of us, our lives declare that everything we do is kind of here. We're just kind of slogging along one day after another, after another, after another, just trying to make it to the next day. We're just trying to get through Monday. I'm just seeking to get through Monday, don't, let alone heaven, right? It's like we wake up in the morning like, okay, all right, get the kids out of bed. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. I'm going to be late to work. We got to get some food in you. Let's go. Everybody in the car, all right, we got to get you to school. We get you to school, okay? Now I got to get to work, okay? Oh, no, I got to get my Starbucks. And like, okay, now I'm at work. Oh, we got a huge project coming at me. All right, work, 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 work. Okay, I got to go get the kids pick them from school. Oh, we got soccer practice here. All right, drop you off. Okay, I got baseball practice here. Okay, I drop you off. Okay, now we got to get you home. Got to get some food in you. Eat, 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 eat. All right, let's go to bed. All right, now I can finally sit down. I can watch my favorite TV show. 
I hear more ladies laughing than guys, because you're the, the guys are the ones that are always falling asleep when you're trying to watch TV with your husband. And the next day we just wake up and do it all over again. We just get, we get kind of bogged down, kind of sucked into this kind of hurried, 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 busy, 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 busy life. Blase Pascal, French mathematician, philosopher, theologian, one of my favorite quotes from Pascal, he says, we run heedlessly into the abyss after putting something in front of us to stop us from seeing it. We live these just kind of diverted lives. Not wanting to think about what's out there in the future. Like we intentionally busy ourselves. We intentionally create busyness. We intentionally create hobbies. We intentionally kind of absorb ourselves in TV shows because we don't want to have to think about what could be on the other side of life, on the other side of this human existence anyways. Don't want to think about it. Some of us have been taught as we grew up that heaven is a place of just kind of boredom, like eternal singing. I like to sing, but eternally, like 10,000 years, like all I've done is sing. Listen, friends, that is just not heaven. It's not. I cannot wait to begin to unpack what heaven actually is. Some of us are like, dude, we're going to float around on clouds and play harps with angels. Man, whoever painted those pictures should be shot. That is not, that is not heaven. New heaven, new earth, endless exploration. Like you, like adventure forevermore. Like it is glorious. But we can't get there yet. That's coming in a couple weeks. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Famous quote from The Weight of Glory. He said, It would seem that our Lord, our King, our God, finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. When we don't live with strong pictures of heaven, we fail to seek what is above. We don't understand it. We can't see it. We can't wrap our minds around infinite joy. Right? All we know in this life is this this. this lack of contentment, this lack of fulfillment, like everything we do is trying to satisfy this just kind of emptiness in our soul. I mean, if I could just get that promotion at work, if I could just build that new house, if I could just redo my house, if I could just get that car, if I could just get my kids to listen to me for once, right, that would satisfy. And so we busy our lives with these ideas that we think are going to bring us joy, having no idea that there is something of infinite joy that we could dream about. Christ goes to the cross so that you could dream of infinite joy. And in your dreaming, it would change the way you live your life now. 
Right now, the uh, NFL draft is happening. If you've turned on your television, you know this because it's on everywhere. Uh, every news media is talking about it. ESPN, it's like 24 hours a day. It's all they're talking about. It's like, I don't care. I don't want to know. And it seems like every year when the NFL draft comes on, you begin to hear stories of guys who were drafted a couple years ago, and they receive that sweet signing bonus, you know, just that little check for $5 million, and they blew it in a year. And you hear these stories all the time about these, these young guys, you know, 24 years old, 24 years old, you, you, you know, you, you've got 150 bucks in your bank account, and the next day, $5 million, right? And they don't know what to do, right? There's like $5 million. They, like, I'm going to go buy a house. And so they buy a house. But, you know, they love their mom. And so they got to get mom a house too. And then grandma's like, wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have to live in this ratty old retirement community? And so like, grandma, I'm going to buy you a house on the beach. And they buy grandma a house. But then grandma needs a car and mom needs a car to go with their new house. And their friends back home are like, dude, you're rich. And he's like, you got to get us some gifts. And so they, got, so they get them some like nice jerseys, right? No, Rolexes, right? Like that's what they get their friends. Like they just go crazy. They go all out and they got to take care of everybody who's helped them get there along the way. Their trainers and their agents and their lawyers and their coaches. Everybody, they take care of everybody. And then Uncle, Uncle Sam comes along and is like, oh, you got to pay taxes on that $5 million. That's a lot of money. And it's just gone. It's just gone. And the average career for an NFL running back is only two and a half years. And so they blow this money in the first year or two, and then, they, then, they, then they're done. It's, they're washed up. They can't go anymore. It's, it's over for them. Why? Why? Why do they do this all at once? What is wrong? And we look at this, and we're like, moron! What is wrong with you? Like, everybody come from 30,000 feet can see that. That's just the, the dumbest thing in the world. Well, yet it happens again and again and again and again. And some would say greed, yes, but what fuels it? I would argue it's because they can't see anything past this. They can't see anything greater than this. This is the greatest thing they've ever known. They just got a check for $5 million, and everybody in their life loves them and is screaming their name because they have just made it into the NFL. There will never be a day greater than this, and so let's live for today. And then they wake up realizing, man, I blew it. I blew it. Friends, I can't help but imagine, I can't help but think that Jesus sits in glory thinking, morons! Like he thinks the same thing of that 24-year-old kid to you and me. He's like, what are you doing? We can't imagine a day greater than today. We can't imagine anything greater than that promotion. I can't imagine anything greater than that dream home. I can't imagine anything better than, than redoing or fixing this thing in my house. I can't imagine doing anything better than, than what's in front of me or marrying that perfect person or having those kids. I can't imagine anything better than that. And Jesus is like, stop. Lift your gaze. Infinite joy. I love the way that Jonathan Edwards puts it. The great theologian, one of the greatest theologians to ever live, Jonathan Edwards, he wrote much on heaven. He said, to go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. I don't know what pleasant accommodations you've experienced in your life, right? I don't know, I don't know where you stay when you travel for business, right? I don't know if, you, if you've ever been put up at the Ritz-Carlton or somehow you got upgraded to that suite. That one time you got upgraded to that suite and you're like, this is amazing. Like one time Des and I got upgraded to a suite that was bigger than our apartment in Chicago. 
Like we walked into this hotel and we're like, what in the world? The bathroom was like bigger than our apartment in Chicago. We're like, what is this place? It had its own workout room. We're like, how is, where are we? Like, what is going on here, right? Maybe you've flown first class. I hear it's nice. I've never experienced it, right? The, the, The best accommodations that you can imagine, infinitely better, infinitely better than anything that you've ever experienced here on earth. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Therefore, it becomes us to spin this life only as a journey. Listen to this. Listen. Therefore, it becomes us to spin this life only, singularly, as a journey towards heaven. As it becomes us to make the seeking of our highest end and proper good, that's heaven, the whole work of our lives to which we should subordinate all other concerns of life. Why should we labor for or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end and true happiness? Edward says, man, if we were wise, if we were actually just not idiots, everything in life would be about eternal glory. Everything we do, every decision we make, everything we buy, all the places we spend our time, all, all, of our, all of our deeds and all of our love and all of our energy and all of our effort would be focused on one singular thing. It would be subordinated to that. The way that I love my kids, the way that I love my wife, the way that I engage my friends, the way that I engage my neighbors, the way that I spend my money, the way that I, the way that I spend my time, all of it would be subordinated to a greater end. All of it would be a greater investment. This is not just Edward's idea. This is a biblical idea. Jesus talked about this often. If you look at Matthew 13, Matthew 13, Jesus gives several parables on the kingdom of heaven, and each one of them lands on this end. I'll give you one of them. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus says this. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field, right? Jesus, again and again and again, says this. Man, when we experience heaven, when we see and understand this infinite joy, complete fulfillment, total delight, when we, when we, when we realize that in our minds, it generates a whole life response. He sells all that he has. And Jesus, this is not just talking about money, okay? This is not a parable on money. It's a parable on the kingdom of heaven, Okay? It's, it's communicating this whole life response that all that we have are changes. When, our, when the joy of heaven begins to become our joy, our whole life changes in response to that. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy this field. In his joy. This is not, this is not a sacrifice. You're not sacrificing things for heaven. You will never sacrifice anything for heaven. Okay, listen to me. You can't, because heaven is infinitely better. You, you can't sacrifice things for heaven. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way, right? It's just a wise decision, right? If I had, if I had $10 million, I opened up a case, 
right? $10 million. And I said, here, I'm going to give this to you. All you have to do is give me $10,000 a month for a year, okay? All of you would be going home and selling your houses. You're like, yes, of course I would. I would sell everything I would. I'm getting a second job. I'm going to live in my car for a year. I'm going to do whatever I can to find $10,000, and I'm going to give that to Josh every month so that I can get $10 million. It's a no-brainer. It's, it was with joy you would do this. Of course you would do this. It's a wise investment. You cannot sacrifice things for heaven. You're not like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice this money, it's a, or I'm going to sacrifice my time to invest it in heaven. It's not a sacrifice. It's just a no-brainer. It's just not being dumb. That's, that's what it is. Every, every moment that we spend seeking the kingdom of God, and as it changes and shapes and molds our lives, and we begin to conform to this heaven-seeking creature, it's not a sacrifice. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. How do we do this? I mean, how do we seek something that we cannot see? If I told you I want you to go seek yakety muck muck you're like, what's a yakety muck muck? Well, it's a, it's a thing. It's a creature. What's it look like? Uh, I don't know. Never seen one. Well, how do you know what it looks like? Well, somebody saw one once, like a vision of it. Not like the real thing, but like a vision of it. It was like this hairy, crazy thing. It's like, go, go seek that and go find that. How are you going to seek it? How are you going to find it? You can't see it. How do we seek and find something we cannot see? Well, Paul tells us, I think, in the next verse, he says this in Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are of earth. I believe this is 100% a battle of our minds. We must, we must begin to think. When Christ goes to the cross and he raises from the grave, he opens for us the ability to dream about heaven, to think about heaven. It is not something that is available to us otherwise. It's, just, it's a foreign idea. But for those of us who have, who have experienced Christ, we've been risen with him, we can now seek him. We can spend our days thinking and dreaming about how we will look, how we will be known to others, how much money we'll make, what promotion we'll get. What, what our lives are going to be like, what that new house is going to be like, how, what, our, what, our, what our kind of remodel is going to look like. We can spend our days thinking about those things. Or we can spend our days thinking about the things of Christ. We can invest our minds in the kingdom of God. As we invest our minds in the kingdom of God, we begin to transform. We begin to change. Three ways. Number one, we spend time in the Word magnifying the goodness of Christ. As we understand who Christ is and his supreme worth and his supreme beauty and his supreme goodness, as we see Christ being exalted in the word of God, right? Heaven becomes greater because that is his home. When we enter into heaven, we enter into his glory. Instantly, we will see his face. Never has there been a treasure like that. Never have you found anything or dreamt of anything like that. 
No mansion, no vacation, no perfect relationship stands next to that. Like nothing stands next to that. And so we seek his word, and as we dive into the word and we saturate our lives in the word, we grow in our affection of Christ and we see his infinite goodness. Number two, we magnify the great things of the world to infinite levels. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean what, what Edwards was saying about I mean, our human relationships, fathers and mothers, children, sons and daughters, our, our human friendships. These are but a shadow, a shadow of the substance. So when we experience things in this life that give us joy, right? What is the thing in this life that gives you the most joy? What do you find the greatest joy in here on earth? For some of you, maybe it's in your career. For some of you, maybe it's your, your spouse. Your spouse just brings you joy. For a lot of you, maybe it's your children, your kids, or your grandkids. What brings you the greatest amount of joy in this life? Those things are but a taste of something infinitely better. So we must train our minds that when we experience joy in this life, whether it's just the perfect piece of steak or the just most delicious sip of wine, that's a gift. That's a gift, but it's just a taste. Imagine that perfected. Perfected. I love my wife. She brings me so much joy. I, but to imagine her perfected, to imagine me perfected, bringing her, bringing her perfect love and joy for all eternity. We take a taste here, the things that bring us joy. We train our minds to begin to allow those things to lift our gaze to something better. This is great. The sunshine on a nice, cool day, joy. There's something infinitely better that awaits me. Hiking through the mountains with my boys, joy. I'm a mess today. There's something infinitely better that awaits me. If one day my Savior might save them 10,000 years from now, 10,000 years from now, Something so much better awaits them. Let me stop. Gosh. Number three, moving on. We must remember our reward, right? The NFL player, he thinks that his reward is that. It's that in that moment. This is the greatest thing there is. We think that our reward is now. Our reward is not right now. Our reward is in heaven. That's where joy is. That's where the reward is. Now, some of you are saying, wait, oh, hold up. Are you saying that there's different levels of reward in heaven? Like there's things that some people are going to get that other people aren't going to get? I'm not saying that. The Bible says that. It says it everywhere. Every, everywhere the Bible communicates that. We have a hard time with this because of grace. Right? Grace is, is 100% the same for all people. The same gr grace that saves the axe murderer saves the choir boy. Okay? It's the same grace. You cannot, you cannot earn or attain more of it. It is the same for all. But this is not the way it is in heaven. Access is the same, but the reward is different. Jesus talks about it. I'm just going to fire off a few verses. 
Bailey, I might skip a few. We're running low on time. Matthew 6, 1. Jesus says this. He says, Beware of, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus says, man, if you are trying to be like me, if you're trying to seek me so that other people in this life will think more of you, that gains you nothing in heaven. But when we seek him in pureness and goodness, when we seek him because we genuinely love him and have affection for him, as we grow closer to him, we are gaining and building rewards in glory. Talked about it in Matthew 6, 4, a few verses later. Talks about giving. He says that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you, right? In our financial investment in this life, when we give so that other people will see us and be like, look how much I gave. There's no goodness in that. There's no reward in that. There's nothing in that for you. But as we give out of this sacrificial joy because of the love of Christ and we want to advance his kingdom on earth, we want to grow and stretch, we want to crowd heaven with more people. And so we submit all that we are to him. There's a reward in that as we live for heaven now. I'm going to skip a few. Paul. Gosh, I hate skipping these. All right. They're so good. Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 3, 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, that is Christ, survives, he will be rewarded. Right? The work that we do to advance the kingdom in this small, brief, momentary window of time called our human existence, the work that we do is rewarded. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians 3, 8. He who plants and he who waters are one. Each one will receive his wages according to his labor. He's not talking about literal farm work. He's talking about the work of the gospel. The author of Hebrews writes about it. He talks about Moses. He, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses leaves the comfort of his home and all of his wealth and all of his treasures in Egypt. He says, no, no, no I'm going to pursue God because there's a greater reward out there. I'm, I'm going to leave this behind. I'm not sacrificing it. I'm pursuing something greater. This is not a sacrifice. It's an investment. We invest in heaven. We don't sacrifice for heaven. You need a clear picture of heaven to seek and set your mind on so you can walk wisely in it now, making the right investments that pay off in eternity. The theologian J.C. Ryle said, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. Last piece, last piece. Why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? Why do we have such a difficult time with this? Right? And you can, you can list a million reasons, right? Greed or um, and busyness or whatever. I think there's a greater reason that this is so hard for us. Okay? I want to show you something from Revelation. Can we go there? Is that okay? Are you guys going to get freaked out by this? Because it's freaky. All right, Revelation 13, 6. Revelation 13 is the beast, Satan. Satan has been bound, okay? And he is about to be released for a short period of time to just go at it. Just, just tear people apart and, and pull them away from God. All of these people who have, not, who have not put their faith and their hope in Christ, it's like, all right, it, it, is, it is feeding frenzy time. And he is allowed to say whatever he wants to say in order to turn them away from God. Creepy, I know. But here's what he does. Watch what he does. Verse 6. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. This is fascinating. When Satan is given free reign, 
just free reign to turn us away from God, right? He's going to blaspheme God, but he does it in two ways. He blasphemes God. He turns us away from God in two ways. He blasphemes his name, which when we see his name in, in, the, in the Bible, what, what that means is his glory, his fame, his renown, his glory for his namesake, his name. He blasphemes his glory. He diminishes the glory of God. It's not that great. It's not that good. You can find your own glory. We talked about it last week. If you were here, you got to go online and find that. This is what he talks about. He tries to steer us towards our own glory, makes us think that in some way, or form, we can find glory that God does not have. We can have that on our own. There's another way to find that glory other than him. In his dwelling place, heaven, he diminishes it. It's just eternal singing. It's floating around in clouds, playing harps. You don't want to do that. That's boring. He diminishes it. What Satan wants to do is he wants to press your head down into your busy little life and make you think that in some way you reform, the things that you're going to find here are better than the things that you're going to find there. Look at this sweet new thing. Look at this awesome like, thing. You can make your house look like this. Wouldn't that be cool? Look, this person has better kids than you. You better work harder on that. Get busy. Look, you could have this promotion. Just pressing our heads down into these earthly things. Paul says, lift your gaze. Seek what is above. Set your mind on the things above. Set your mind on that. Don't let them push your head down into this. Seek the things that are above. There's an eternal reward there. Friends, let me say this. In the three weeks, we're going to talk about heaven. We're going to unpack just the beauty and the grandness and the glory of heaven, what we're going to do there, what it's going to be like, what your family's going to be like there, what endless joys await us. I cannot wait to get into it. Satan is going to do things in your life over the next three weeks. Mark my words. Over the next three weeks, there are going to be things that happen in your life on Saturday night, Sunday morning. Things are going to blow up on, at work on Friday, and you've got to work through the weekend. Your kid starts vomiting at like 4 a.m. on Saturday. You just watch. He does not want you to see this. He does not want you to experience this. He does not want your gaze to be lifted to something far greater and far more beautiful than this, than this small, temporary, meaningless existence that we have here. It's, it's, it's not meaningless. The small, temporary existence that we have here that, that could be completely meaningful for all eternity. Let's get to work. Just get ready for it. I'm telling you, it's coming. Buckle up. He does not want you to lift your gaze to heaven. Get ready for it. Because that's what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks. It's going to be beautiful. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you this morning. We praise you. We praise you for the cross and your resurrection, that we've been raised in you, and that for those of us who've been raised in you, we have something greater to experience. We have something greater awaiting us. We have something greater that we can pursue and chase after, that we can dream about. And so let us be dreamers who dream great dreams, not of our glory in this temporary existence, not of trinkets, of nice stuff, but of things that are infinitely better. Let us dream dreams of your glory. Let us dream dreams. Let us, let us stand in wonder of 10,000 years from now when all there is is joy and satisfaction 
meaningful work, meaningful relationships that feed us, and we get to perfectly feed others. We get to perfectly love those in our lives. I will never once, I will never again forget. I will never again forget something that my wife asked me to do. I just love her perfectly. I'll honor her perfectly. God, I can't wait for that. Why we taste the things now and realize, man, that the, these little joys are but a shadow. They're little beams. You are the sun. Let us pursue that. Let us chase that. Let us swim in that. Let our minds rest in that. Praise in your name. Amen.